Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful day out. Are we all ready for this? And hopefully it stays around, although we're supposed to get some cool rainy weather into the week next week. You know, there's so much going on this time of the year, and everybody has such a pent-up demand to get out that uh, we're going to cover a lot of different bases today. We're going to talk in our opening segment just a few minutes. We're going to continue our conversation on tick-borne diseases. Now, we don't want you to be afraid to go out, but we certainly want you to be aware of what's going on. We've just, since we've started covering this, we've just been inundated with people we know who've had stories of this. So it's been pretty uh, pretty incredible. We're going to talk a lot of fishing when we get later into the show. We'll have Chad Lachance. We're going to have, of course, Nate Zielinski. And Troy Coburn will join us. And uh, he's not only going to talk fishing, but he has a personal story about the tick-borne diseases he's going to share with us that's pretty... Uh, yeah, it's it's going to touch you. You're going to you're going to want to listen to some of these things. We're going to talk some shooting today. How about well-armed women? That's going to be one of the guests uh, that are going to be joining us later in the show. Just got a lot and a lot to cover. There's a lot going on. It's a great time outdoors. But let's go right to the phones right now and uh joining us, she is with Colorado's Tick-Borne Awareness Association is Monica White. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Terry. It's just, what a beautiful day. It is gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous out. You know, and I know that we're going to talk and we're going to re- we're going to do a little Reader's Digest version of what we've covered to this point. But on a beautiful day like today, first, the warm weather, there's going to be more people out hiking, biking, doing all kinds of things. So there's going to be more chance they'll be in terrain or habitat that holds ticks and also be exposed to it. So I think it's very important. In fact, because of that, I believe May is Tick Awareness Month. Is that right? That's right. Nationally, um, May is recognized as Lyme and Tick-Borne Disease Awareness Month. And um, and thanks to Governor Polis, uh, Colorado is recognizing May as Lyme and Tick-Borne Disease Awareness Month as well. That's, that's fantastic. I'm glad to see that. Why don't you... Um, Tick-borne diseases kind of bring us up to speed. I know we've covered this a couple times in the past. By the way, folks, if you want to go back and listen to the history of what Monica and I have talked about, you go to my Facebook page and scroll back just a few weeks, and you're going to see a reprint of a column I did for the Denver Post that will be accompanied by a podcast that Monica and I did, and then another podcast from just recently that will be further up. It will be not as far back, and that leads us to today. But, Monica, your first involvement became was because of personal exposure and tragedy, wasn't it? Yes. Um, myself and my entire family were impacted by Lyme and, and um, a variety of co-infections that a tick can transmit, and it was um, debilitating, personally debilitating for me and, and very difficult for other members of my family, um, both to recognize the disease, figure out what was going on with us, and then also to get access to care. Um, getting a tick-borne disease is not always easy to diagnose, and uh, finding the correct care and treatment once you've had it for um, more than the acute period, which was the case for all of us, um, 
even more difficult. Yeah, and is it so difficult to diagnose because the symptoms are so similar or because doctors just haven't been really aware to look for it? You know, I, I think it's a combination of, of both. Um, you know, especially being in Colorado, uh, Colorado is considered a low incident state for, um, or even a no incident state for Lyme and many of the other tick-borne diseases. But people travel and they're coming from other places or they've migrated here from different locations. And so I think it's, a, you know, a little bit of both of lack of recognition of the diseases um, in people and also that the symptoms can be very nonspecific um, for, you know, initial onset. It can be flu-like. It can be um, rashes that may be attributed to another insect. And so, you know, it's really important that the education um, elevate, especially here in Colorado, for both people and um, the medical care providers. Now, we have two friends in particular, one that he's going to be joining us later in the show. His wife was bit in Missouri, they believe. And then we have uh, Brad Peterson, who's a regular contributor to this show, and he believes he got his uh, Lyme disease in Minnesota. But both these and all of these people are outdoors here. They're outdoors in Minnesota. They don't remember exactly. I, one of them knows they got a tick bite in Missouri. But other than that, sometimes people don't even remember when they got the tick bite. And uh, so it is difficult to say what we really do have in Colorado, isn't it? it it's very it's very hard. You know, um, oftentimes people don't, you know, if they didn't have the education to look for a tick, they may have been bitten. They may have had a, um, an initial infection that they easily disregarded as something else, or maybe their doctors disregarded as something else. And then uh, weeks or months or even years later are dealing with more severe symptoms and, um, and they don't recall a bite. Um, They don't. That's about 50% of of patients that get diagnosed with Lyme don't recall a tick bite. You know, uh, Monica, I didn't know this was going to happen, but we have a person on who says they have a son dying from tick disease. Would you like to bring me to bring them up real quick? Uh, sure. Uh, is this Rob? Yeah, how are you doing, Terry? Yeah, what's, tell us a little bit about your story, Rob, real quick. Well, um, back in the 90s, uh, I took a job, and we moved in Connecticut. And... Uh, Two summers in a row, unbeknownst to us, my son was nine and ten years old, and he got bit in the head by a tick. Um, he was out playing army with his buddies in the bushes and trees back there, and that's a hotbed back there. Uh, and so he just pulled the bug out of his head and um, uh, never said anything to mom and dad or anything. You know, it just continued. And he had some minor symptoms for a few years, never really told us much, just thought that when he felt sick in the morning, that was life and, and never told us anything. And then in, in 2000, he was in a car crash. We had moved back here and all of a sudden this started and we didn't know what it was and nobody back here knew anything about Lyme or anything like that. Uh, today, he's 37 years old. He is, he barely makes it from the bed to the recliner. Uh, I'm his caregiver. Uh, we have tried and spent money on everything possible. I spent all my savings in retirement. Uh, we, I was spending five to $8,000 a month on antibiotics. None of those treatments ever worked. Um, and so, you know, here's where we're at. And one of the things I really wanted to tell you was um, 
you know, people get a tick bite and they think I'm going to be okay and, and whatever, I would recommend to people go to the doctor first and go ahead and get on doxycycline and don't take a chance because, you know, if you don't catch it in the first four to six weeks, you're going to have some kind of problems. Right. Robbie went undiagnosed for 18 years. We're actually really lucky he's even still alive. Rob, and that's a that's a tremendous story. Where because of time, we've got some things to yeah. cover. But I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And Monica yeah. and I are going to talk just about that. What to do if you get bit? But you know, I'm so sorry for your tragedy. And Monica, these yeah. these aren't uncommon stories, are they? No, I'm sure. I just want to say one more thing. We're, we're very lucky here in Colorado because uh, Lyme disease, but these, you rarely get that Lyme disease from ticks here because they do not like dry climate. I've had people, I have a shuttle service, and I've had people tell me they have moved here from Virginia, from Connecticut, to get away from Lyme disease because in these dry, arid climates, you don't see it. You see Rocky Mountain spotted fever here and things like that, but rarely do you get Lyme disease. I don't even know if there's been a documented one here. But when they okay. travel to Kansas, all okay, Rob, we, we have to move on though, Rob, because we've got a lot to cover. But thank you for sharing with us. Okay, so Monica, let's get back to that. First of all, uh, the the going on diagnosed is the real problem, isn't it? It is, you know, and the, and the plight of the patient, as Rob said, is is um, lack of, of, of being able to recognize that illness early, um, lack of awareness to, um, to know that a, a tick can be a risk. Um, and, and, you know, the, the story that, that Rob shared, is, is, it's heartbreaking because that is uh, more the norm for a lot of the patients with long-term chronic or debilitating disease, and it's, um, it's saddening. Now let's go quickly to um, both traveling. What type, is there a certain type of ticks or how many ticks carry and how many diseases are there potentially? Um, you know, currently we're getting close to about 20 recognized diseases throughout the U.S., more worldwide. Um, for Lyme specifically, the black-legged tick, so the on the East Coast it's, it's considered the deer tick and upper midwest is considered the deer tick on the west coast it's the pacific black-legged tick those are the two primary vectors of Lyme but there are um, other competent vectors that are just haven't been studied enough that do exist um, throughout the nation I think I think that's one of the bigger points is surveillance um, is not consistent across the U.S for ticks or tick-borne diseases, and so there's a lot of places that are just unknown as far as risk. Now, a lot of, uh, he mentioned we don't see a lot of Lyme disease in Colorado. Do we have some here? Do we know, or is this just an uncertainty? Um, from a reportability standpoint, the state does not have a record of a reportable case of Lyme disease, and what that means is that it met whatever um, standards to or criteria to meet a reportable case. Um, having spoken with, with several patients throughout the state, there are patients that um, that believe and, and have documented that they did acquire a bullseye rash after hiking locally. 
um, and went on to develop uh, illness and eventually diagnosed with Lyme disease. But the reportability is is the part that we're lacking in the state. Now, we're seeing more awareness. Um, We're seeing more reports of tick disease across the country. In fact, we've one that I wasn't even aware of that you were that just surface to Minnesota that's really extreme, and there's been 20 cases of that. I don't think we have time to get to that, but I think the the word here is there's more than Lyme disease. There's a lot of pathogens that ticks can spread, aren't there? Absolutely, and that's why, you know, Lyme and other tick-borne disease, it's, it's, uh, Lyme is definitely the most prevalent. It, it accounts for the most cases of um, tick-borne illness across the U.S., but the the problem is we've got a growing number of other diseases that are occurring nationwide that um, are becoming a bigger threat to public health. Now let's talk while we've got some time. We don't, first of all, ticks can be an issue, but we don't want people to not go outdoors. You know, coming up after us, we're going to talk about the new trail app that Colorado has to get people out in the trails, hiking and things. So I want to go outdoors. I want to spend my time. First of all, what do I do to avoid getting bit by a tick? And then we'll talk a little bit about what we can do if we do find one. So how do we avoid getting a tick? You know, um, first and foremost, be, be aware of your surroundings and where you're hiking um, and how you're hiking. Um, ticks tend to gravitate towards the edge of trails, hard ticks too. They quest, most of the species quest passively and wait on the end of um, grass or shrubs um, at a lower level and wait for opportunities so people to brush by. Um, there are some other ticks that will quest actively and, and look for you no matter where you're at. Um, the Lone Star Tick is, is notorious for that. But um, staying to the center of trails, um, or if you are going to be going through tall grasses and brush, being properly protected. So wearing permethrin-treated clothing, your boots, your gear, um, that, that actually kills the, the ticks on contact. So they don't have an opportunity to crawl up and, and find a place to bite. Um, tucking your shirt into your pants and your, and your pants into your socks or wearing gaiters prevents the tick from getting to skin and crawling up a pant leg. Um, again, deterring them um, the opportunity to find skin to, to bite. Um, using repellents um, on exposed skin and making sure that those repellents are labeled for ticks. So the things that are effective are DEET and picaridin, IR3535 and lemon eucalyptus oil um, in, in the commercial sense has also been found to be um, as effective as DEET. So making sure your, your clothing is treated, your skin is treated, um, wearing light colored clo- clothing so that you can detect a tick faster on your body as it's crawling, as it's questing to find a, a place to bite. Um, Avoid sitting on logs and against trees. I, I know, like, taking a break in the woods, I, I did that my entire life, and I, I look at the woods a little bit differently now. I don't stop going out, but I definitely avoid risky places for, for taking my breaks and, and resting um, on the ground. Um, avoid sitting near rodent and burrow, rodent burrows and, uh, and nests or even sleeping in um, rustic lodging, uh, rodent-infested buildings, things that have been locked up you know, over the winter that might have some mice or squirrels. Um, There's a soft tick that's a risk in the western states that that carries tick-borne relapsing fever. Um, Making sure you're protecting your pets. I can't stress this enough. Your pets are off off the trail more than than people are. Um, They're outdoors more than people are. 
and they can bring um, ticks, even if you're protecting your pet with uh, flea or tick control, um, they can bring them into your car, they can bring them into your home, and so making sure that you're you're doing a tick check on them daily. Um, tick checks are probably the most important part, because even with prevention, um, you know, prevention can fail, and so doing regular tick checks a lot if you're spending a lot of time outdoors, at least daily, um, if you're in particularly risky areas or have been exposed outside, um, making sure you're checking behind your ears, um, your hairline, the nape of your neck, your armpits, your belly button, between your toes, your groin and private areas, uh, a friend even between the toes. Like uh, these little tiny ticks can get into really protected little places and um, a tick check is, is is the most important prevention tactic because um, the sooner a tick is properly removed, the less opportunity there is for disease to transmit. Um, a couple of other things, placing outdoor exposed clothing directly into the dryer when you come in. You can kill the ticks uh, 10, 20 minutes on high um, if your clothing is dry, can kill the ticks that might have hitchhiked in, in on you, and showering as soon as possible after spending time outside, which I know is tough if you're camping for extended periods, and that's why a tick check is so important. Now, we're going to run. We're actually over our time, but I'm going to steal a couple minutes. But, Alex, <laughs> we're going to give you plenty of time. We'll cover the, the trail program that we want to talk about, so hang on there. But first of all, I want to recap one thing. The permethrin seems to really work in treated clothing. Has that been your experience? It, it has been. The permethrin seems to be one of the, the best tools for for prevention and avoidance of ticks, and, and especially because it's not just a repellent. It actually kills the tick after they've been in contact with the clothing. Now, the, uh, other, the, the other thing is the really have to look at repellents because there's a lot of insect repellents. A lot of people don't like DEET, but it does work. But it doesn't work as long for ticks as it does for mosquitoes. You really have to understand the repellents you're using, don't you? Absolutely. You need to use them as, as they're, um, they're written and making sure that um, you're using a tested product. Now, the last thing is, what if I find a tick either crawling on me or embedded? What do I do? So crawling on you, depending on where you're at in your environment, um, you can flick them off your body. Um, if you're in a home environment and you don't want to keep it for testing, I'd put it between a piece of tape and throw it in the garbage, scotch tape and, and throw it in the garbage. Um, if you want to keep your ticks for testing or if you've had to remove a tick from your body, Proper removal, you want to grasp the tick as close to the skin as possible with fine-nosed tweezers and pull with a steady, slow motion upwards. You don't want to twist, crush, use your fingers. You don't want to put anything on that tick to aggravate it. Um, fine-nosed tweezers are the best way to safely remove a tick. And then save that tick um, in a plastic bag, a little piece of grass in there. Um, because identifying a tick will help you determine what diseases you may be at risk for, and it will also give you the opportunity to have your tick tested, um, which can also give you more information about how to proceed with the tick bite. We are way out of time. Real quick, Monica, you've, your organization has a lot of information. How do people find that? Um, you can visit us at coloradoticks.org. Um, 
and and we've got lots of prevention information and and resources for for people needing more information. Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think this is really important. I know, folks, we've given this a lot of coverage over the last few months, but Monica, I think this, we want people outdoors, but we want them to understand. Thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's Monica from the Tick-Borne Disease Prevention. Um, go to my Facebook page. If you scroll down, there's three or four posts, including a column I wrote for the Denver Post, two other interviews with Monica, and lots of information that we can direct you. And her information is in, on those uh, those two so that you can go find them. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about a great new app to take advantage of the trail system, system right here in Colorado on 104.3 The Fan. As much as I love the Eagles, and I usually would listen, we're going to get right to the phones. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we are going to go, and joining us from Parks and Wildlife is Alex Dean. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Terry. Thank you for being so patient. I think that as people are getting out, we've been trying to cover the tick-borne thing. And with what we're going to talk about, it's kind of appropriate that people understand it. We, we want people to get out. We just want them to do it very safely. And you're gonna, you've got a new app that's really going to help people get out and enjoy the trails in Colorado, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, just um, this last week, we launched a new version of the Cotrex Trails application. So Cotrex is short for Colorado Trail Explorer. It's the first two letters of each one of those words. And Colorado has just become the first state in the nation to publish a free trails application that includes all trail users and every official trail in the state, which equates to about 39,000 miles in Colorado. Now, when you say um, all, all, the, all the official trails, this information didn't come from just one source or from people just looking through articles. You went out and talked to the people that build and maintain these trails and got the, the official information, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, we since we have great relationships with all land managers in Colorado, um, we reached out to 236 land managers. So that equates to the Forest Service, the BLM, your local county lands, city lands. And with that, we, um, you know, we have a robust data set of all the official trails in Colorado, uh, which makes us unique as opposed to any other trail out there, any trails app out there. Now, when you said users, too, you weren't kidding. I mean, it's hikers, bikers, equestrians, ATVs, side-by-sides, motorcycles, just about any kind of vehicle you've got. You can go. I, I downloaded the app yesterday, and you can kind of pick. You can look at a trail in general, and, you, and it'll tell you what's allowed, or you can look for trails that just allow what you do. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, because we have this really awesome base data, um, it can be dynamic within the application where you just download the app. It's free to use. You don't need a login. Um, you can click your user type. So if you want to go mountain biking on a Saturday, the whole map changes to where you can legally recreate in the state, regardless of uh, land manager boundary. And now when you look at it, can I go and plan a route or can I record my route? or how? Well, tell me, take me through some of the benefits of the program. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, at, at the very base level, you can use the app in its entirety without a, um, a login or profile, and it's a free app. Um, but if you want to save things, you just create a username and password, and then you can start saving things on the go, which is really great for planning a weekend. Um, we have a website as well. That's trails.colorado.gov. Uh, if you Google Cotrex, you'll stumble upon it as well. And that's kind of a planning tool. You know, you can look at it in your big screen at work uh, during the week, getting excited for the weekend. And you can, uh, if you have a profile, you can start saving things that'll come up on your application when you're out in the field. Um, and I'd just like to add, you know, we do have a lot of unique features to this application, but we have a lot of the great things that the other apps have out there already. So 
you can discover new trails. You can download your maps for offline use. Uh, you can record your trip, like I said. And then as of last week, we actually just added a new function where you can uh, make a route on the fly just kind of by clicking around with your finger. And then you can share that with friends and family with a, a little URL so you can get other people to enjoy the outside and kind of know what to expect when they get out on the trail with distance and elevation and all those great things, too. Well, we were looking last night, and my wife is an avid um, uh, biker. She likes That's how she loves to get her exercise. Um, she was the, one of the trails she goes on a lot. They've got a part of it detoured because of uh, they're doing a, putting in some infrastructure work. And she didn't really like that detour. So we went on the map and she started looking at other ways she could go around that route. I mean, we just put in biking and she's in Fort Collins that not only had the Fort Collins trails, but the adjacent state park and uh, city park trails and all those things. So what a great tool. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think people will um, realize that there are more trails out there than they originally had thought. And of course, this is an ongoing process. New trails are getting built and rerouted and all that. So we're doing our best to get the most current information in there. But because kind of we have the years of the land managers, we hope to put, you know, active closures in there in the future uh, trail stewardship projects. So we hope to get more people outdoors and be aware of how some of these lands are cared for, because, you know, sometimes budgets are tight. And it takes volunteers. So um, this is another way for people to get involved in the outdoors and appreciate all the time and effort that um, gets put into, you know, the places that we love to recreate. Well, one of the things I really like about the app is Colorado is an outdoor state. And I, I preach this all the time, whether it's on the water, on the trails, whatever it is, on the rivers, that we have multiple use here. And people, none of these people are out there being evil. They're out there doing what they're enthusiastic Part, what they enthusiastically partake in the outdoors is, and sometimes we can get conflicts. Well, with this app, if I want to just go walking or hiking, I can say, where's a trail where I'm not going to run into any ATVs or, or any motorcycles or horses even? And I can pick that trail. Or if I'm an ATVer, I can say, where's a trail where I'm allowed to go that I can get up away from things? It really facilitates that, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, you can pick your user class. And like I said, it it changes dynamically, so um, you can see exactly what um, places you can go um, if you want to be biking, hiking. And um, since we have this awesome data set, you can click on each trail, and it'll show you exactly what's allowed on each uh, specific segment. And where available, we put a, a link out to the land manager. So we have a little bit of information, but let's say you're hiking in Jefferson County. Uh, when you click on that trail, um, we have a link that goes directly to the park website if you want to learn more about the history of the park or contact the land manager. So. Uh, we try to connect the dots easily for people and understand, you know, how much it takes to uh, recreate in one place. And, um, yeah, it's it's a great app. It's free, and we encourage people to Google Cotrex. It's in the app stores, um, free to use. And uh, we launched some new features last week, including satellite imagery, which I know a lot of people like to kind of see where the trees are. And, uh, you know, it might even be a hunting tool, too, if you want to see how you can get further into the backcountry to get a good take. <laughs> And and I want to reiterate that this is free, and even if you create an account, it's still free. Absolutely. Yep, this is paid for by um, GoCo Money here in Colorado, so there are no ads within it. And um, if the app is successful, we'll keep funding at the state level and have this great tool across uh, 
all land managers in Colorado. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I think this is an awesome tool. I looked at it myself last night. My wife and I looked at some bike routes. I also looked at, you know, ATV routes. Sun Power Sports is one of our major sponsors here, and they always are talking about responsible use of ATVs. Well, here's a way to know you're on a, an approved trail or approved area to take your ATV or your side-by-side. What a great opportunity that is. We do have to run, uh, Alex, but thank you so much. I just think this is really important information, and Cotrex is the word to Google, and I hope people will take advantage of it. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. You bet, Alex. Thank you so much. I think this is a great tool. By the way, folks, if you want more information, I do. I did make a post on my uh, Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, uh, yesterday, and it takes you right to um, it takes you. It's a shared from the Parks and Wildlife Facebook page. It tells you about Cotrex, but it also kind of in there. There's a link that you can click, and it'll take you to the place where you can download all the apps. It'll there's a tutorial. So go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, both for the ticks that we covered before this and for this app. We're gonna take a quick time out. When we come back. We're gonna take you to a park that has really gone all out to help disadvantaged people enjoy the outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, you keep playing music I love, but we're behind. I got to get to these callers. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer, and they are starting their Saturday barbecues. I will tell you more about that later. Let's go right to the phones. And uh, joining us from Staunton State Park is Natalie Burnside Bosto. Good morning, Natalie. Good morning. It's a, is it as, I'll bet it's as beautiful there as it is here right now. It's The sun is shining. It's a, one of those gorgeous Colorado days. Absolutely. It's always beautiful at Staunton. It is a beautiful park, and it's not that far from Denver. Why don't you tell people where it's located and describe the park? So Staunton State Park, we're located just outside of Conifer, Colorado. So if you're on 285, you get off on Elk Creek Road. Um, and you just head up straight towards Lion's Head. You'll see it right in front of you. It's absolutely beautiful. We've got um, about um, 25 walk-in sites right now in our campground. So um, if you want to come up and spend the night up there, we've got that all set up for you. We range from about 8,100 feet in elevation to about 10,000 feet in elevation, and we have some really awesome fishing available up at Staunton as well. Now, you also, because of all the trails, you have a lot of wildlife watching, I think, too, don't you? Yes, we do. We've got a lot of deer. We've got some elk, foxes, coyotes. Um, I saw a bear last year. So, yes, we definitely have lots of wildlife up at the park. And it's an incredible place. Do a lot of people come there just to picnic for the day? I mean, what an incredible place. Oh, yeah, definitely. We've got picnic tables everywhere. And uh, you've got trails. You've got picnic. Let's talk about the fishing, though. I want to get you've got some special amenities for people that are challenged, and I want to spend some time on that. But first, let's talk about the fishing. You really have two fishing locations. One is fairly close. Now, you you park and you walk into the park. The first one is fairly close, isn't it? Yeah, so the first one's going to be Davis Ponds. The, the full loop for Davis Ponds is around 2.8 miles, but to get out to the ponds, you're looking around maybe one, one and a half to get out to the ponds. And that pond was actually just stocked yesterday with fish. Oh, people are going to be out there now. And I'll tell you what, they stock it so regularly. I heard, I heard one of the rangers once that he, he was on the show, and he said he has trouble as he walks around that pond finding people who hadn't caught their limit of trout and some big ones too. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. We have a volunteer who's out there fishing all the time. And I think just the other day he said he pulled, he was, you know, catch and release. He pulled 30 out. Yeah, it's a great place to fish. And just being recently stocked, folks, if you're looking for a place to take your kids fishing, what an awesome, awesome opportunity it is. Now, if you go a little further into the park, you have another set of ponds that are full of brook trout. Is that right? Yeah, so the, that's the Elk Creek ponds are going to be farther up. And those ones, we don't typically stock those ones. So anything that's in there is coming down through that creek. But they are full of brook trout. I've heard reports, you know, they're small. Yeah. But how far of a walk is it into those? Um, to get out to the Elk Ponds, you're looking at a, a, it's a much longer hike than Davis Pond. So I'm not exactly sure of the exact mileage, but it's a, it's a hike. You're more, looking more... Over five miles. And But when you get there, I'm going to tell you how prolific and easy it is to catch those brook trout when you get back there. I know of somebody who had never fly fished before, but they wanted to learn. They walked back in there, and all they did is they had a piece of willow, and they put a, fly, and they put a little bit of fly leader on it, tied some flies yeah. to it, used that to cast, and were catching one brook trout after another. So that's, that's, that's how awesome. incredible it is. Now, before we run out of time, though, there's something really important. You've got all these amenities out there. It's this great place. And, you know, we're evangelistic on this program about getting people outdoors. And, you know, some people are challenged. Some people, I had a neighbor who she went through her second bout of leukemia and she was confined to a wheelchair for a while, but she loves to go fishing. She loves to get outdoors. You've got an answer for those people, don't you? Yes, we do. So up at Staunton, we have something that we call the track chair program. What we've got up at Staunton, we have three wheelchairs that have giant treads on them. I like to call them tiny tanks. And um, we run reservations Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, two hikes each day of the weekend. And we get people who would not be able to get outside on their own um, outside. And they get to, the, uh, uh, they have to have a caregiver with them, and then a, a park volunteer goes with them as far as so they operate the chairs properly and everything. But they can go just across the trails. They can go picnicking. Or in the case of this little girl who lived next door to me, they could have gone to the lake and spent the day fishing too, right? Oh, absolutely. We actually have two adaptive fishing pools with our program, and we have people come out all the time, bring the picnic lunch, and head out to the ponds, sit next to the ponds, fish for a couple hours, have lunch, and enjoy the outside. Now, what's an adaptive fishing pole for people out there that don't know? So we have one fishing pole that actually has a motorized reel. So you just push a button, and it reels it in automatically. And then we have another one that's got a much larger handle on the reel so it's easier for people to grab it and i believe at that that's the closer pond we're talking about and there's also a handicap fishing pier there i believe correct yes we do we have a handicap fishing pier there as well now you're adding something you've had the track program for a couple of years in fact it's on my facebook page i i brought it up about six weeks ago i brought up an article i wrote for the denver post last year about it so you can go to terry wickstrom outdoors on facebook and scroll down and it tells you all the details of that but you've added something that i didn't know about that's brand new and that's uh these uh they're like bicycles kind of yeah so they're called grit freedom chairs And they're basically manually powered chairs, except they have bike gears, and you use levers to um, power the chair. They're absolutely amazing. I'm really excited that we just got two of them, and um, we're going to get them into our reservation rotation here, hopefully by June. And those are your hand-powered, but you're actually powering yourself down the trail in this grit chair that's got, like, bike gears, but you're using your hands, so somebody who is... disadvantaged from the waist down would be able to take these and and go where they probably couldn't go with just a wheelchair or something. 
Correct, yes. That sounds awesome. So if people want more information on all these, can they find it on the Staunton website or Facebook? Which is the best way to go look at it? The best place to get more information about the track chair program is going to be Staunton's website. We have a whole page there about um, the track chair program. We also have a page for volunteering. So if you would like to come out and volunteer with the track chair program, we also have information for that online as well. All right. Well, we're going to have to go because we're running behind on time. But what a great program. Folks, go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Scroll down. You can get all the information except on the new grit chairs. But there's websites there that will take you to it. You know, we're just get people outdoors. Don't let, you know, don't let them give up on their passion because they've had an incident in their life. Thank you so much, Natalie. This is a terrific program. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You bet. That's Natalie from Staunton. And again, all the last few things, and a lot of what you're going to hear on the show today is on my Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You might have to scroll down, but we covered a lot of what we cover on the show is always on our Facebook page. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going right to the phones and Somebody who's been a contributor to this show for well over a decade, I think, Chad, Mr. Chad Lachance. Is that right? Yeah, something like that, Terry. It must be getting old. Well, you're never catching me because I went yeah. into my doctor this week, just yesterday, go for a few of the little these things I need to get corrected. And I asked her if we could just clone a new body and do a brain transplant. She didn't think that was a feasible solution. So No, no, not yet. Give it another couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, you, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. First, you're at an event. We want to make sure we cover that. And then I want to get some fishing updates for you and see what's going on because I know you guys have been guiding out on the water. But let's start out with the event you're at. Where, where are you at and what you doing? I am at Crowley Marine. Crowley Marine's been in Denver for over 40 years, a boat dealership, and they used to be on East Denver for people that are familiar. For, for I think, 43 years, they were the same facility on East Colfax, and they moved finally. And so now they're uh, basically at Pecos in 76, and, uh, and there's a big open house going on here today. So there's food and raffles and factory people here. Jared Edwards is here from Jared Edwards Outdoors, and uh, the whole Fishful Tinker crew is here, and Ron Lowry, guide Ron Lowry's here. Uh, there's a couple of guide trips that are going to be uh, going to be raffled off here in about an hour and a half or two hours. So people in the neighborhood want to come by, you have to be present to win that. But uh, we're giving away a Fishful Tinker guide trip, and Ron Lowry's giving away a guided trip as well. And uh, life jackets and and, uh, other, like, high-end inflatable life jackets are in the raffles and a whole bunch of smaller stuff as well. So it should be really fun. It's beautiful weather, free lunch while supplies last, and uh, factory reps here from Lund Boats as well as Ranger Boats. And, uh, yeah, just a a generally fishy and boaty afternoon here is planned at uh, at the brand-new facility. And then we're happy to be here at crymarine.com if people want to check out on the web. And uh, web, or excuse me, uh, address is 2450 West 63rd Court here in Denver. So uh, good facility, beautiful place, lots of dudes that like to fish. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to see folks come down. Well, and I think if anybody comes by with all you guys there, I'm sure Dan is there and Ronnie's there too. And I bet you guys are going to be willing to talk a little fishing if people stop by. I'm thinking so. That's pretty much what's happened pretty much all day at this point. And, uh, yes, Dan and Ron are here. Even Ranger Danger, my dog's here and my boat's here and all my tackle's in it so people can climb in and check it out. And, uh, and yeah, there's been plenty of fish talk going on. That's one of the things I've always loved about Crowley Marine is these guys all fish, you know. I mean, 
so they they know what fishermen need in a boat. Um, you know, Keith, who works in my boats, is, is working on his own walleye boat in here right now, and uh, you know, all of them basically. Scotty, they all fish. All the guys here, so it's good, good, good to be involved with the dealership that that you know can relate to what's going on. And I'm standing in one of the shops right now, and there's a range of boats as far as the eye can see. Well, not only can you check out all the new boats, both the Lunds and the Rangers, but and they have pontoon boats too, I believe. But you can also just to hang out and talk. This is a great, you know, we're going to be heading into some of the best fishing of the year. It's probably already starting. And this is a great time to talk to all you guys that are there. I mean, and you didn't even mention everybody. There's a ton of people there that are fishing all these lakes up and down the front range. If you're not even looking for a boat, come by and get some information. And if you are looking for a boat, what an opportunity to say, well, how should I set it up? What amenities should I have? What should I put on it? That's so great. Now, before we run out of time, because we are running late today, but I'm going to steal a couple of minutes from Nate. And that's the <laughs> fact that um, we need to get a fishing update from you. What's going on at Horsetooth? Well, Horsetooth is rising and water temperatures hovering just a little bit below 50 and uh, lakes um, going to come up another maybe three feet from where it's at right now. So it's almost into the trees right now. And fishing's getting really good. You still got to work for them a little bit uh, because of the water temperature. But um, I will tell you this, Terry, you'll be happy to hear this. I've already caught more walleyes year to date in Horsetooth than I did all of last year combined. Wow. That's awesome. uh, Are you catching them shallow? Catching them shallow, catching them deep, caught them everywhere from 40 feet down on blade baits to just under the surface on shallow jerk baits in the last week and a half. So uh, they're kind of spread out, you know, it's that time of year. But uh, but the most important thing is they're just a lot more active than they were last year. They're biting well, not just for us, but for other people that come up to fish. So that's been a, a, a kind of a bonus we really expect for this year. The smallmouth are coming around uh, good. They're good numbers of smallmouth to be had. Well, you know, uh, the smallmouth, Chad, you know, people haven't fished that lake in years. The quality of the smallmouth has changed so much. Yeah, we used to get excited over a 15-incher. Uh, now I get excited over an 18-incher. And uh, so, yeah, that's a that's a significant difference. You're talking about a fish that's like a pound heavier. And uh, and there's good numbers of them. I mean, you, we expect to catch 20, 25 of them every time I put the boat in the water for a couple hours. And, and you know, it's a good lake from that standpoint. Um, there's also some of the trout they stocked this last fall are coming around. Uh, not big numbers of those, and they're not huge yet, but they're worth keeping on the radar screen. Uh, so it, overall, Horsetooth's fishing really good. The lake looks good. And um, just in general, I think it's it's a good time. Our guide trips are going really well. If guys want information on that, it's fishfulthinker.com. Both Dan and Ronnie have a bunch of dates uh, available. And, uh, real uh, real quick, really have the bass moved up yet? Are they 50-degree water? Are they still on the points staging? Or are they starting to move into the coves? Uh, all of the above, and I'm not trying to be dodgy, Terry. I swear I'm not. But you can run main lake points and catch them one way. You can run the backs of coves and catch them another way. You can run dam faces and catch them another way. The bottom line is there's a lot of bass, and as you know, they don't all spawn at the same time, and so they're kind of working towards it. Uh, historically, in the 20 years that I've been fishing and guiding horse tooth consistently, um, by Memorial Day weekend, they will be fully spawning there. And uh, and that's it doesn't matter what the weather does or anything else. By Memorial Day, they always are somewhere around the spots. You can count on them being some of them shallow, but really you can fish out how you like. I know guys that are still catching them deep with blade baits and spoons and other guys that are catching them running shallow crankbaits on flat banks. If so, you were going to go out tomorrow and wanted to catch a few larger bass, what's the number one thing you'd do? 
I would take a Berkeley Digger 6 or 8.5, and I would start running semi-flat secondary banks until I encountered a couple of fish, and then I would slow down and fish a little bit outside of them for bigger ones. So I would use my crankbait as my search tool. Um, and then as soon as I, you know, get a section of bank that's holding some of them, then I would, I would be more thorough with maybe a tube jig or, a, you know, whatever your confidence is, a, a wacky worm of some sort, something like that. And, uh, and you know me, Terry, uh, a suspending jerk bait is, it's very, very difficult to beat and work on your cadence. Still a longer pause will get you more bites. Well, when it's what you throw 90% of the time, it's what you catch 90% of your fish on. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, just, I'm not, it's a great bait. I'm just giving you a hard time. Hey, 30 <laughs> no, I, seconds, I 30 seconds real quick. Cause we're over time. What about Boyd? Have you heard anything? Yeah. Boyd's uh, coming around water is quite a bit warmer at Boyd. It's, it's 60 plus on the North end, although it probably cooled back off on this last storm. Uh, bass are coming on there. They stocked white bass last year. The white bass were being caught. They stocked a lot of trout. If you want to go catch some fish, go to Boyd and troll for trout. And you're going to catch, there's a bunch of them in there. Great way to get kids on fish as well. Um, in general, Boyd's fishing okay. It's a matter of confidence with Boyd because it gets to be busy, and that doesn't bother the fish, but it seems like it bothers the fishermen. So what I would say, if you're not catching them, move around until you do because they are there to be caught for sure. We have to go, but um, you're at Crowley till what time? Uh, we'll be here till 4 o'clock today. Most of the drawings are going to take place between 11.30 and 2 o'clock, and uh, we'd love to have people here. It's free. Everything's free. Sales and merchandise on, uh, you know, a lot of different merchandise, and like I said, free guide trips. We're giving away a couple of those, some some high-end products, and then a whole bunch of uh, manufacturer swag. And that's Crawley Marine. You can Google Crawley Marine, get their new address, and Chad, FishfulThinker.com and FishfulThinker Facebook if they want to get a hold of you guys, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right, Chad, we will talk to you again soon. Soon. Chad LaChance right, thanks, with Sarah. You Bet. Stop by and see him at Crawley. Chad LaChance at uh, Crawley Marine. We're going to take a quick time out, and Mr. Nate Zelinsky is going to join us from the other end of the front range. He's at Pueblo Reservoir on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.